0: Hi there! Welcome to the Happy Startup School Community Podcast. It's me, Carlos, co-founder of the Happy Startup School. It's over a week now since we've got back from our Altitude Retreat, uh, a retreat for leaders and professionals. It's always difficult to explain what Altitude is about, um, but I, the way I'd like to you know, describe it these days, it's a, it's a place for people who want to make space for themselves so that they can get clear on their next steps. It's a time to get away from the noise of the everyday in order to hear that inner voice, that voice that um, you can call your intuition. And in this episode of the podcast, I talked to Megan French Dunbar, founder of Conscious Company Media. And one of the things that we discussed towards the end of the episode is the need for leaders to be able to trust their intuition and to listen to that inner voice that usually helps them make the right decision. So as well as that, we talk about conscious business and what one is, and also discuss the extra challenges that come up with running one. So if you're a conscious business leader, or you're just interested in what it takes to to be part of a conscious business, then listen on. so sometimes i i even forget to press record when i'm in the <laughs> middle of a <the> conversation <laughs> um, but yeah thank thank you so much for for taking the time to talk to me i um i understand that you are you have a 9 day countdown to leaving for maternity leave
1: yes i am i am 37 weeks pregnant right now uh and wow according to my doctor yesterday uh there is a chance that our little guy might be joining us at any moment so uh, (gasps) i am in the last (laughs) little bit of uh working and also just kind of wrapping things up right now for my maternity leave
0: wow well It will definitely be a first to have someone go into labour on my fledgling podcast. (laughs)
1: Let us really hope that I am not the first. I I really do not want to go into labour today.
0: (laughs) I'm sure there's a lot of stuff that you'd rather have uh, sewn up, tied up, and put to bed before you have to. You can focus on yourself and your your new child.
1: Yeah, and, and I also have heard that this is a wonderful lesson for me in letting go of control, um, that he will be dictating when he comes and I have no say over it. And I just need to kind of let it, let what happens happen. So I am just trying to relax into that right now.
0: Mm, Sitting with the not knowing. Yes. And this is your first child? It is. And yeah, that, when you said, um, a lesson in, uh, uh, sort of letting go of control. I think that that big, then that is then the continuous lesson from now on.
1: Yes, <laughs> so I hear.
0: <laughs> wow, but it's exciting times.
1: Yes, very much so. Yeah, I, I have told my team I feel anxiety, which is my my new word right now.
0: <laughs> I love that word. I love that word. I feel that word every day.
1: Yes, <laughs> don't we all?
0: <laughs> Run your business. I think it's excitement every single
1: time. Absolutely, yes. I, I don't know. It popped into my brain like two years ago, and before all of our big events or before anything big, we're always like, yep, I'm feeling excited right now, uh, oh. which means we are usually doing it right, because we're kind of right on the edge of uh, pushing out of our comfort zones, and we've taken on enough work, and but we all still yeah. love what we're doing. So yeah, it's my favorite That's little definitely-
0: word fine i love it i you know i've always shared this diagram for uh of like you know your comfort zone your panic zone and then in between there's that learning zone i i'm gonna call it the excitement zone now
1: <laughs> yes <laughs> please do <laughs> that'll make me feel really happy
0: oh i love it yeah okay and I'll, I'll, of course i'll have to uh, reference megan french dunbar
1: <laughs> trademark
0: megan trademark.
1: French trademark <laughs> boom <laughs>
0: just kidding. oh no no that's good i think you know if you can if you can trademark lean startup then you can trademark anything right <laughs> so um as a uh, this is this is essentially uh the first time we've ever talked <laughs> yes so this is truly off the bat off the cuff I, I this this whole podcast is going to be me actually getting to know you uh to a certain level um but i think for uh ben- the benefit of the listener um and the people who listen to to this podcast all 106 of them as they are so far as i see on my stats on anchor.fm thank you very much anchor um um members of our community, our happy startup community. So there are uh, business owners and change makers uh, looking to do business differently. And I'd say that because I was reading your website and on there, it was very much about making business better um, as I understand it. Is that, is that, was that a true reflection of some of the mission that your magazine is about?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. Um, yeah. I would say differently, better, Uh, Might be synonymous as our team defines them, but trying to do business with a lens toward um, stakeholder orientation, where you're taking all stakeholders into account, not just shareholders, and that including the environment and society and um, all of the wonderful things that go along with stakeholder orientation. So we've been saying do business better, but I also think do business differently also applies.
0: Nice. So to give people a bit of context, um, uh, Catherine Sheridan, who is the founder of Sustainability um, she is she's a longtime member of our community. She's come to us with us on our retreats uh, in the Alps. Um, now, I understand she's been writing articles for you. She got me in touch with Vanessa, who is one of your colleagues. Uh, and then I discovered uh, your magazine. Um, a conscious company magazine, uh, and then I discovered you. And that Vanessa pointed me towards you, as uh, and, and your story, and I saw your TEDx talk, and I thought, boom! I need to talk to you because I think you, what you talk about, what you're doing, even the, the way you started your business, it feels very aligned with the, the kinds of things that our community are trying to do and, and, and would resonate with. So. Um, because I <laughs> because I barely know you, because I don't want to butcher trying to introduce you, um, for the people who are new to Conscious Company Magazine and new to you, um, maybe give us a little bit of a story of where you are now as a person and, uh, and also as your company, and then a little bit of how you got there.
1: Sure. Um so where I am now as a 37-week pregnant CEO sitting in my home <laughs> office, uh, uh, we so I'm the CEO of Conscious Company Media. We're a wholly owned subsidiary brand of a larger parent company called Intentional Media. We were... Acquired in December of 2017, and the main product sets that we put out, we have Conscious Company Magazine, which you have referenced, we have the World Changing Women's Podcast. We have the World Changing Women's Summit, which is a live convening of um, female business leaders who are all, again, trying to do business differently or doing business better. We have the Conscious Company Leaders Forum, which is also a convening, uh, bringing together uh leaders of all from all different walks of life uh, all business leaders who are trying to do business better we also have spectrum which is a conversation that we're just launching in june of this year in atlanta georgia in the united states to speak about how to create a more inclusive economy where we're bringing in more founders of color um and then we have content online. And so we call ourselves a media company, but we really focus on putting producing content and convenings around doing business differently with a specific lens on the, t- the two areas that we really, really care about are racial equity and women's equality. Um, so that is where I am now in terms of how I got there. Uh, It started just over five years ago in Boulder, Colorado. I had done my MBA with a focus on sustainability at Presidio Graduate School here in the States. And I had a friend who was also studying to receive her MBA with a focus on sustainability. And we just had one of those fateful dinners that most entrepreneurs have their story where the seed was planted and ours was at a pizza place in Boulder, Colorado. And She just asked me the question, why doesn't a magazine exist for our community, for people who want to talk about sustainable business, conscious business, um, you know, whatever we want to, purpose-driven business, mission-driven business, whatever term we want to use. And I had been working in the publishing industry for all of five months and had enough (laughs) knowledge to be dangerous, I guess. And uh, I was 29 years old, so enough hubris and naivete to believe that I could do something like this. And it was uh, the perfect storm of all these wonderful things. I got fired that same night that we had the idea for the magazine. I, I mean, it was just this crazy story of all the things coming together, pointing me toward I should launch a print publication about sustainable business and so we did that through a series of crazy events and on January 1st 2015 our magazine conscious company which is our flagship product was picked up by every Whole Foods in the United States and it kind of put us on the map and from there we've done all of those other delightful things that I previously mentioned in terms of the
0: convenings and content. Wow so this- um with the uh, you, you just have a range of things that you're doing at the moment so with the, the <laughs> events the podcasts, the the content there's online there's offline as i understand it and you have a community is that correct an online we community?
1: do yeah we have membership uh for seven dollars a month uh we have wonderful humans all over the country and all over the world, in fact, who sign up to be members of Conscious Company and you receive an issue of the print magazine. And then we also have a monthly business leader Q&A call where we bring in someone from our community who we feel has great insight and wisdom and you get to do a live Q&A with them for an hour. Um, it includes all of our online content as well as kind of special discounts to our events and to our sister brand events as well.
0: Mm. Well. And so that sounds like a lot of stuff.
1: (laughs) You're telling me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is.
0: And I say that because we're guilty of very much the same kind of thing. Um, There's various angles we could take this conversation. I think maybe to start off with, there's this, I don't know, maybe talking to this idea of evolving a company and what you do and what you want to offer and you know people talk about long-term strategy and then you know five-year plans and some people like myself and Lawrence, my co-founder we just kind of follow our nose and feel what's right and then try and work it out along the way what, what has been your path
1: <laughs> all of the above <laughs> um i would say initially um You know, we started the magazine and had the naive belief that although the print publishing industry was in shambles, that somehow we would start a magazine and it would be fantastic and wonderful and we'd make plenty of money. And it turned out very quickly that um, that thesis proved to not be true. Mm. And so our, I would say our initial kind of additions of product sets were driven more by revenue growth and looking at what other media companies were doing and seeing that every print publication under the sun also has an event component and that the majority of their revenue was coming in through convenings and so we added on our first convening which was the conscious company leaders forum and that one was particularly you know i would say 90% revenue driven of just we need to in order for us to survive and to be a sustainable company we have to make enough money to be able to pay ourselves and our employees and so, let us do this event, and then probably ten percent impact driven in terms of we had a lot of readers of the magazine who were saying, "This is great to read all of these stories. We would love for them to come to life in some." live way where we can all start meeting as a community. And so our first convening was really driven by revenue. And then the second edition, the World Changing Women's Summit, that one was more kind of on the intuition impact, following our noses, um, just getting really excited about something where um, I, I had like a lightning strike in the middle of the night moment of... Mm-hmm. All of a sudden I was like, we have to bring female leaders together. I, I, I had the name kind of downloaded to me, world changing women summit. I, I had, I, 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 it was one of those moments that some people speak of that I used to discount. And now that they've happened to me, I, um, I understand what they're talking about where something was downloading to me that I don't know where it came from, but I jumped out of my my room, I ran to my computer, I sat down, I sketched out the entire World Changing Women's Summit, and four months later we produced the first one. And that one also in terms I, I somehow have managed to put together an all female team. Um and that When we talk about kind of things that resonate with what our team cares about, the Women's Summit was something where our whole team was just so excited about the impact we were making as we brought these, you know, hundreds of female business leaders together. We were having real conversations about what it's truly like to be a female business leader in the mission-driven business space. And that became more of a passion project. And then that's where the podcast spun out of was um, people saying, you know, we really, it's wonderful to get together once a year for this incredible event that you guys host but um you know what we need to be capturing these stories in a way that democratizes access to them so that's where the podcast kind of came from and then since then it's just kind of been feeling our way through trying to consistently balance the question of is this going to make us a financially sustainable company and does it align with our overall impact that we want to have on the world we have coalesced around the the purpose as an organization to redefine success in business in service of all life and so mm. really trying to change the narrative around how we define success in business and for us that can come in uh, you know a number of different ways and one of those ways that we really clued in on is that we really want to kind of rebalance the masculine and feminine in the business world. And so all of a sudden this women's work became uh, an avenue or a vehicle to do that. And so, um, and it has become our number one revenue driver to date, which is fantastic. And so uh, to the question of how are we making these decisions to grow in different areas, it always seems to come from a different place and the common denominator does seem to be, Will it increase our revenue, and does it have an impact that drives to the larger purpose of the organization?
0: So, uh, I love I love that, in because it, it makes me think of one of the things that we we talk about at the Happy Startup School, and we try and you know, try to work through, and, and what I think a lot of our community's interests in is is balancing the money and the meaning. Yes. How do we how do we stay true? to what we believe and the vision we want to create but also it needs to be sustainable and it needs to work within the paradigms that business is in at the moment
1: yes <laughs> and i would say uh we are still trying to figure that out um where uh i i our first couple of years, we very much were kind of in the, if we build it, they will come. You know, if we put out this magazine, I'm sure the community is going to support us. And here's a general business model that we could probably make work. Um, and as we've gone along, and as I've spoken to so many founders of mission driven businesses, uh, the number one thing that people say they wish they had done at the beginning was have a substantial or kind of a substantiated business model that would drive enough revenue to keep them going. Cause a lot of times you just jump in with your mission and you think that all, all will work out. All you have to do is just start making impact. And it turns out if you can't pay your team members and can't pay your vendors, um, you can't have company. And so it's a continual balancing act for us as a company. We're still trying to get to that, like, consistently profitable place uh you know after five years of scratching and clawing our way through and investment rounds and acquisitions and all the things uh we're kind of looking at a place this year where like i think we're gonna be profitable um and uh there's still consistently the financial pressure on us even though everything we do we're looking at saying gosh, we're making so much impact on Mm. the world. Um, But as the CEO, I am always looking at both sides of the coin.
0: That's a challenging tightrope walk to try and follow. And it it makes me think as well. um, So one of the things that we were in our exchange by email was trying to think of things we wanted to talk about. And um, you talked about the basics of conscious business. Is this, is this is this part of it? Or was, does that connect with what you're talking about in terms of balancing the money and the meaning?
1: Absolutely, yeah. We're, I mean, we have a lot of people who assume that conscious or sustainable or mission driven or purpose driven business. We kind of use all of those terms interchangeably, but a lot of people come to us and assume that we're talking about. CSR and, you know, kind of the uh, program being bolted on to a larger organization where they're coming up with some sustainability initiatives. And we usually say, you know, CSR is fantastic. We're never, ever going to be arguing that there shouldn't be CSR programs. They're wonderful things. And that is definitely not what we're speaking about uh, in terms of. The companies that we profile and the type of businesses that we really hold as examples. So for us, our, our general definition of a conscious business is a business that has a higher purpose beyond profit and takes all stakeholders into account beyond shareholders. And that can come in a myriad of different ways and different forms and can be everything from a Patagonia, which You know, that's the easiest example to point to when someone says, give me an example of a conscious business, um, all all the way down to another great example is Cafe Momentum. It's a restaurant based in Dallas, Texas, with an incredible founder named Chad Hauser. And... He was a kind of up and coming chef in the Dallas area. He went into a prison to do a workshop on how to teach these men how to make ice cream of all things Mm -hmm. and realized that these men coming out of prison had zero opportunities for jobs and that that was the number one predictor of them going back into prison was if they couldn't find employment. And so he... Walked away from his incredibly lucrative career as a chef. He opened a a new business called Cafe Momentum where he takes in uh, men and women coming out of juvenile detention. So specifically looking at the younger population so he can get to them Um, in kind of their formative years. And he does job training with them and leadership training. And they go through an entire year long program at Cafe Momentum where they learn how to be servers and managers and do all of these things. On the back end, he has caseworkers and social workers that are really helping them get their feet on the ground in terms of financial training and all sorts of everything that they need and he's reduced the recidivism rate of the population of those who go through his program down to seven percent um and so uh, and i could talk about examples of conscious businesses all day but when you ask kind of it's it's it is walking that line between being a financially sustainable company, and having that higher meaning, and being super clear on what that higher purpose is of your organization. Um, and I would say, in the first couple of years of our organization, we just we knew we were making an impact. We didn't know what that impact was, and it wasn't until we got really clear about our purpose as an organization that I felt we were all kind of rowing in the same direction as a team toward this redefining success in business and service of all life.
0: So, when you were talking there, um, it reminded me of a conference I was at yesterday in London called Beyond Good Business. And the purpose was to bring social entrepreneurs together with social impact investors. And one of the speakers there was talking about the purpose of capital. Uh, And there was something around. When you invest, uh, well, social impact investors are still using metrics of ROI and 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 very simple or simple but numerically based ways of determining success in a business. And there was something around, but there's stuff beyond that. There's other things that are important when you're investing in something that's socially impactful conscious in this case um and i don't know if you come across that when when you said you've had investment or i assume you've also met social in or conscious businesses that have been invested in is it does it still always boil down just to the money or are are there ways of assessing investment on other metrics or other ways of thinking that success is happening
1: yeah it's i'm curious if the gentleman that was speaking was jed emerson who yes. just wrote the book purpose of capital yeah uh jed is is a wonderful ally and, and good friend and um, actually jed was one of the people that Introduced me to many of my investors. Um, wow. And so that is synchronicity. Are... <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, he lives in Colorado part time and uh, he's just an incredible human. Um, so, yes, there are investors that are doing this differently. They are hard to find. Mm. Um and it's so we just for example in our in our first round we brought in twenty-one angel investors who are all self-identified as being impact investors. And um I I believe that all of them were and are, and with our, you know, particularly with what we're doing, you know, we did not When I went out to fundraise, I didn't put together a super rosy picture of a financial return that they were going to get. I didn't necessarily talk about an exit plan. Although we did exit as a company, it was not included in my materials when I went out to do a fundraising round because I knew that if I promised them all, you know, this return on investment and this exit strategy and all these things that. Um, one that would be expected and two that that was not why I wanted them to invest in us. I wanted to invest in us because they believed in the mission and the impact and what we were doing and they do exist. Um, that said, (laughs) um, when kind of push comes to shove, I would say that it's, it's just hard um it's hard to find there's a lot of self-identified impact investors out there who claim that you know they have patient capital or they have a long-term approach or however they want to couch it and they're still when push comes to shove they're still looking for a financial return or they're very upset when you don't hit certain metrics or goals or um it's it's really hard to break out of a traditional paradigm of how we've always measured success. And specifically with investment, we like to have metrics that we can look at and that helps you feel safe that your investment is secure. And traditionally, the only way that we've ever had those metrics is financial. And mm-hmm. so then we layered on this idea of, okay, well, let's come up with metrics for impact. And there's some of those which, yes, absolutely are legitimate and can be measured. And there's some things that just cannot mm-hmm. be measured. Um, and so it just, it builds in a lot of complexity into the the model. And so you're, and then as an entrepreneur, you're also trying then to hit more metrics than any other business owner out there, you know you have to hit your financial metrics and your impact metrics uh, and rather than your traditional investor traditional business owner relationship where you 're just having to hit your financial metrics and so it actually i 've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs who feel like these impact uh, impact investors with wonderful intentions uh, but who are very metrics driven actually put so much Pressure on them because they have twice as many metrics to hit hmm. that it actually makes it harder um, to take investment from them so i i've watched it all over the place i've experienced it myself i've you know I, I run a, a CEO group where we get together once a month and we talk about all of our investors and all the things that we're all dealing with and I have seen everyone from the most patient uh you know long term introspective kind investors that you can imagine. And then folks who tout themselves as impact investors and then are the ones that are actually like really putting the screws to their entrepreneurs and uh, making life even more painful than a traditional investor would. So that is a long rambling answer (laughs) (laughs) that I don't know is particularly helpful. Um, But I think everyone's kind of trying to wade through this muck together and try to understand how, how do you call yourself an impact investor if you don't have metrics that speak to that impact, but then also how do you measure things that are completely immeasurable, mm. um, like employee satisfaction and and morale? And, you know, you can try to measure those things, but it's just, um, it's a really sticky situation.
0: Uh, yeah. I think that's, that's one of the things that I think sprang up for me listening to to the talk and I've heard of this before in terms of social entrepreneurship and and trying to try to understand how you can grow your business. Um, And the thing, it feels like the thing about money, it's just a very easy metric to understand. Everyone knows it. it's Mm -hmm. quite, you know, it's black and white. You're making money. You're not making money. I'm getting a return. I'm not getting a return. There's, there's very room, there's very little room for ambiguity there um so there's i think for, from your answer what what people i I hope listeners can get out of it is like you need to go into this with eyes wide open um and there are there are you said there are people out there who will take the long term view but you said like you said they they are few and far between still and there's still a systemic issue here
1: absolutely
0: so we we yeah,
1: and I, I mean we uh, the one of the pieces of advice I get most often when I interview founders is you should be interviewing your investors just as much as they're interviewing you, um, and a one one bad apple in your investor set, even like if you have that gut feeling about an investor that he or she is not walking the talk or is, is really going to be a pain. Um, they can in fact become one of the sorest spots that you have as a business owner, if you take them on and it's so tempting because, in the times when you're raising money, you need that money so badly, mm. and you're you know it's such a relief when you get it, and you're willing to say yes to almost anyone and then but if you have that gut feeling about an investor, um, listen, listen, listen.
0: now it's quite interesting. there's a couple of things now that popped up to now making me move towards a different part of this conversation around consciousness spirituality business and the entrepreneur and a few things that came up when you're talking firstly when you're talking about the summit the, the i forget what you call it the, the one where you just woke up and you it downloaded from somewhere so even yeah the, the
1: world changing women's summit
0: <laughs> the, you the phrase downloaded just stuck out for me um me talking about this conference i went to yesterday Jed Emerson and then you saying he's a good friend and he's introduced you to a lot of people, that weird coincidence thing going on there. Uh and this also this as an entrepreneur, how you hold yourself because we can get sucked into the highs and lows and stresses of running a business. Uh how you how you can how looking at the world differently can help with that I don't know if I'm making sense here I'm trying to think about how as a conscious business owner you look at the world in a different level but that also means changing your the way you look at the world yourself in your own eyes mm-hmm. and maybe that's a spiritual thing or something else I don't know I'm scrabbling here does that is there anything of that resonate? yeah
1: yeah I'm, I'm happy to I'm happy to riff on that for yeah. a minute um and I, I fear you might get another rambling, mm-hmm. bordering on <laughs> anything like I just gave to the impact of asking question. But uh, I, it's it's been such a beautiful journey over the last five years. I have watched myself just, um, I have orchids on my desk right now and I'm looking at them and, and the word that comes to mind is blossom. And mm. in, in terms of the consciousness and the spirituality aspect of things, I like i said when we founded the company i was 29 i was you know pretty fresh out of grad school my kind of consciousness and spirituality practice was fairly nascent and um just unbelievably reactive and emotional and defensive and things were happening and I mean, entrepreneurship is not for the faint of heart. It is a, uh, I, yesterday I did a podcast where the woman said that she felt like she was a, in a pinball machine, but she wasn't the levers or the buttons or anything. She was in fact, the pinball itself. <laughs> um, I mean, she's been running a business for 30 years, <laughs> a very successful business. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's pretty similar to how I felt. You know, the first bit was like a pinball. I, you have no, you have very little control over what's going on with you. Um, my first few years were just I, I would say I my emotional development was wasn't caught up to what it needed to be in order to be a leader of a company. And um a series of just really, really hard events with, uh, you know, our acquisition and my co-founder and I split ways and uh, we've, we've been through, we've really been through the entrepreneur's journey over the last five years. And one of the larger things that's happened for me uh, as a human, as a part of that is just recognizing the need to develop myself, First, before I would go back into the arena and continue leading the team. And so that has looked, uh, I've right now I'm in uh, something called the Stegan Integral Leadership Program, uh, which is a year long program with other CEOs around the country. Um, I do a ton of kind of Buddhist work. I do, I run a women's CEO group and we meet once a month and support each other. Um, I work with a coach uh, every other week. I've just poured on the kind of personal development work, which has really helped me move from reactive to proactive in terms of the consciousness side of things. I I think consciousness really is being aware of what is going on around you rather than being completely consumed by what is going on around you being the witness and trying to at the very best that you can develop some even if it's a breath that you can take in a meeting where you move from reactive to responding Mm. um that has just been a massive shift for me of just listening, responding, being aware of my emotional state as much as I possibly can. We even name it in meetings. We There's a book called The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership by a Diana Chapman and Jim Detmer of the Conscious Leadership Group. And I gave it to every single person on my team. And she has this, this um, both of them have this kind of um, model where you can say I'm above the line or I'm below the line. Um, I'm above the line means I'm open. I'm curious. I'm receptive. I'm responding. And below the line is I'm emotional. I'm defensive. I'm closing down. Like I'm, I'm feeling that sense of um, being in a place that I don't want to be. And we'll, we'll name it in meetings with our entire team. Like if something's happening, one of us will say, you know, guys, I'm really below the line right now. I just need a minute. And you take a breath, you take a walk, you do whatever you do to, to get yourself back in calibration, um, with conscious leadership and really trying to show up as the best version of yourself, which in most cases is really just, it is who you are, but the, the version of yourself that is more the witness and, and can respond to things rather than react. Um, and then one small, hopefully I'm, I'm, I, someone said something at one point, like when you think, when you ask yourself the question, if you should stop talking, you should definitely stop talking. <laughs> um, and then I'm just going to keep rambling. Uh, I'm going to disregard that at my advice at this moment, but the, the spirituality component, which is a, a little bit different for me than the consciousness side of things. Consciousness is like something that can be developed. Um, spirituality is a, is kind of a whole other realm that I'm still f- exploring, but I interview, Hundreds and hundreds of business leaders for my work, and I have over the last five years. And one of the most common things that people say to me across the board is listening to their intuition and their gut Hmm. and at the moments in their journey where they didn't listen to their intuition or their gut or their inner voice or whatever you want to call it that those are almost always the times in their careers where they look back and see a mistake was made a failure happened or a huge learning lesson or something that they regretted and it has only been really in the last kind of two to three years that I've really taken that to heart and under trying to understand what does that mean for me? I kind of call it like an inner voice an inner wisdom, something when I said something downloaded to me, I I just listen. um, And a lot of that time is just When you get really quiet, when you're journaling, when you actually take space to stop thinking about your business and you're on a walk, it's those times where you actually free your mind. You'll have these little intuitive hits that happen. I don't know what they are. I don't like to label them as God or the universe or anything. I don't know what they are. Um, I know that I have experienced quite a few and as I follow them, they always lead to the most magical places um and we we have this incredible kind of wisdom teacher named tara nicole nelson who's spoken at a number of our events and she said with your inner voice if you the more you listen to it the more it speaks and the more you ignore it it it, the quieter it it will become Mm -hmm. and so i have been really i wake up every morning i have a Great meditation practice with my partner. Um, I do a lot of journaling in the morning just to like anything that is coming out. I start, I look for patterns. I start to try to notice things. Um, and I really listen to whatever this inner voice thing is, which for me is very different than consciousness and conscious leadership. So there was a long. I don't know what that was. No. Monologue. It's <laughs> stuff.
0: No, it's beautiful. I, and I really, really appreciate that because I think I liked so many things there that I, I really enjoyed. I think the, the idea of when you talk about consciousness as being able to respond from a place of – I'm going to say a place of knowing because we can uh, – I think a lot of people just react – unconsciously a feeling comes up and they they either bite back or they, they're they triggered but they don't understand why they're triggered and so they react so that's what i get from that i think the overarching theme around the consciousness for me when you're talking about it is this whole idea that there isn't and that we had someone say this on one of our retreats uh, there is no professional development without personal development uh, exactly. and on a previous podcast i was talking to a lady Christina Keesley, she's a leadership coach, and she talked about the law of the lid and that I
1: don't know you,
0: the, the leader mm-hmm. and their, their level of consciousness and self-knowledge and, and, and ability to to be authentic is what will cap the rest of the organization. Mm. And so unless you're yes. able to grow personally, the business will not grow.
1: Absolutely, the the teacher that we have, Rand Stegan of the Stegan Leadership Institute, that I'm doing right now, he says, as a leader, you get the organization that you deserve, <laughs> and your your organization can only grow as much as you do, and that it, it is such. And like it is like one of those things where when he says it every time i like kind of throw my head back in this feeling of like oh my gosh what a tremendous responsibility <laughs> that is like um and then i also kind of get excited about it around like all right like then it's time for me to do the work um and and i see it i've watched the progression of our organization grow as i've grown as a person and and a lot of that uh, you know it's not all about me but um there is that that lid
0: principle i very much believe in i think those as a leader as, a, as the the founder the source the person who started the idea the person the person i i believe most everyone in the organization will um implicitly look to um you model the behavior that you want to see around you and so if if you are if you are more open if you are more vulnerable but also more uh, aware of how you act and, and able to listen and respond in a way that that doesn't trigger other people but gives them a safe space to express themselves then i believe then that gives everyone permission to try and act and behave in the same way One hundred percent,
1: and it stems everything from the way you are in your workplace to also the actions that you take. I I just wrote an article this week about why I'm taking my full maternity leave, even though I'm the CEO, Mm. Um, and I've had a lot of people question, and uh, you know, our whopping three month maternity leave that we get in the states. um, I'm taking the full thing, and I've had a lot of people. Question my decision to do that, and say, "Don't you feel like you're being irresponsible?" And I would say, I turn right back to them and say, "No, I'm modeling the behavior that I expect and hope that my team members have. If any of my team members have a child, I I expect that they take their full parental leave off, um, man or woman. I, I you know this that's what conscious leadership is, and so it's everything from you know, not responding to emails on your vacation to demonstrate to your team that on your vacation, I do in fact expect that you take your damn vacation all the way to how you are in meetings Uh, and you're constantly being looked to as the leader. And, And if your behavior and actions don't align with the values that you espouse as a company and as a person, then it breaks the trust. It breaks the trust with your employees if they see that.
0: Um, there's a thing that we we say a lot um, is with value, with core values, particularly in an organisation. You've got to live them, not just laminate them.
1: Oh. Exactly. See <laughs> uh, too,
0: too <laughs> many organisations saying one thing but doing something else. And I love the fact that that's what you're trying to do. And there's something there about self care and 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 addressing your own needs. Because if you're not looking after your own needs, how do you how do you generate the energy to then look after everyone else's?
1: Absolutely, I. I have, that's a, again been a long process and one that I'm still still working on, but it got a lot better. Um, and it, the beautiful thing, I, I think probably for both of us, is that one of the aspects of our Roles in this world is interviewing other leaders, and um, I would say, I you know, top three pieces of advice that business leaders typically give me is take care of yourself, take care of yourself, take care of yourself. <laughs> and um, I finally started taking that to heart, you know, two to three years ago at that at that same critical juncture where I started doing personal development work, professional development work. Um, I also started drawing boundaries around my time. I. You know, I do not work on the weekends unless it is just a mission. You know, if we have a print deadline coming up and we're about to miss it or something, you know, I I might make an exception once a quarter. Um, But, you know, in my previous days of starting the company, I was working seven days a week. I was working until 10 or 11 at night. I was not exercising. I wasn't eating well. I, you know, all the the wonderful things that we do as startup <laughs> founders. Um, I just started drawing slowly but surely little boundaries here and there. I stop work at 630. I don't work on the weekends. I don't respond to email while I'm on vacation or taking time off. Um, and then I know I've been able to identify the things that make me a, a thriving human or really kind of add to my vitality as a person. And the number one thing for me is being outside in nature, going on walks with my dogs, going to yoga, doing the journaling, meditation, you know, all of these things I've recognized are when I do them, I feel better. And if it falls into that category, it goes, it it's part of my weekly routine. And that's one of the other, um, this is an important part that just came up for me in the last m- like maybe two months of doing this leadership work with this integral leadership program down in Texas was I i was kind of beating myself up because I had missed some meditation practices and I, I'd missed my daily walk or whatever it was. And one of the men in my group said, it doesn't always have to be with self-care. It doesn't have to be, one hundred percent of the time, even you know we we often have this perception, like if it's working out that if I miss a workout, I should beat myself up and damn it, you know I didn't work out every single day this mm. week. But he was like, if you work out once a week, applaud yourself. If you work out twice a week, applaud yourself. Like it's it's about just taking little steps towards self care, and especially as I've been getting more and more pregnant. Mm. Uh, the self-care aspect has been pretty important along the lines, but uh, it, back to the LID principle, how you show up to your organization is one of the most important things you can do. And that is Regardless of whether or not you're, quote, the leader or not, even if you're just a team member, um, our energy as humans affects every other human around us. And we spend the majority of our waking hours with the people that we work with. And if we're showing up as a version of ourselves that is not healthy and engaged and rejuvenated, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of throwing that muck onto the people around Mm -hmm. us and we're doing a disservice to our incredible team members. And so, um, it, it is in fact a little, you know, you are more under the microscope as the leader, but every single person at an organization is a leader in some capacity and the way that you show up is, is critically important. So, yes i believe in Uh, um, self-care
0: i think that's that's fantastic i think what came up for me when you're talking is that we have a responsibility to others to look after ourselves exactly and that whole thing about you know you're just sharing your mark so don't look after yourself keep everyone clean yes
1: It is your 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 energy is your own responsibility, and that that's one of our kind of social norms as an organization. As you're responsible for the energy that you bring into the space.
0: And so, um, I think to finish off, um, there's there's this thing you know, hindsight is is you know, this is the benefit of 2020 vision, um, but knowing knowing what you know now but also being fully aware of how you were at the beginning. Because I know one of the things that I, you know, with with our community and people starting up, we try and tell them, okay, you know, you're going to take it slow or try not to do that. But I've also realized that sometimes people just have to go through something to really understand that that isn't the right thing to do, no matter what you tell them, particularly entrepreneurs, because they're particularly stubborn. But... (laughs) But having that awareness, do you do you know how you could talk to yourself or what you could say to yourself that your younger self to somehow communicate more how they could avoid some of the challenges that that you'd had to go through?
1: It's funny because I asked this exact same question Mm. in my podcast, and I. Um, for me, every single thing that I went through got me to where I am Mm -hmm. today, which is a perfect moment in my life, uh, sitting here, you know, and that is not to say that we are without our challenges as an organization and we don't have a tough year coming up and, um, we're not in a, in a perfect spot. And I also like to believe that everything happens for you and not to you and, Every single thing that I went through um, in the five years that I've had this company, especially in those first two, two, I, I just can't even imagine where we would have been if I had done anything differently. Um, I think that the only thing that I really wish that I could gift to myself as a younger entrepreneur would not necessarily be a you know, here's how to avoid this mistake, this mistake, and this mistake, because I do believe you you most often just have to go through them in order to learn the lesson. Um, and they, they always like, even though they're the hardest times, they often lead to the weirdest and most unexpected magical outcomes that you meet a person like, you know, Jed Emerson is, is Jed Emerson is an example of that for me, you know, like going out and fundraising and meeting Jed and that being a really hard time just trying to fundraise as a woman for a media company. And, um, kind of acts of desperation led me to Jed and I never would have met him if we hadn't gone through that really rough period with our fundraising. But the one thing that I really wish that I could impart upon my younger self and that I really try to gift to other entrepreneurs who are just getting started is to not hold it so heavily um, and to to bring levity and joy and fun into what you're doing. Um, I... I remember, you yeah know, i've i've i had moments of where I was having panic attacks and I was having chest pains as I was going to sleep and having entirely sleepless nights as a young entrepreneur where it felt like my company was everything in the world to me it was going to fail and you know we were you know thirty days away from not making a payroll or what whatever it might be and I held it so heavily and I took it so seriously that I very, I very rarely enjoyed the first few years. And I, I, I just, wish that that was something that I had done a little bit more was, yes, we were, things were serious. (laughs) Yes. We were in charge of other people's livelihoods. Yes. I was stewarding, you know, the resources of 21 investors. We have a national print publication, you know, there, there were quote high stakes with a lot of the things we were doing. And it was 100% my decision and my Mm. choice to kind of, The attitude and and the way in which I approached the entire thing, which for the most part was just constantly stressed out, worried, freaked out, just totally overwhelmed. And I wish that I had enjoyed it a little bit more in those early years. um, Because... I, I will never have them back, and um, and now that I look back on a lot of the stuff that we went through that I felt was like terrible, I actually laugh <laughs> and find it hysterical, and you usually do. So there, there's some. I don't even remember where I saw it. Someone said, if it's not going to matter in five years, don't spend more than five minutes mm. on it. Um, and that would be something that I wish I had done a little bit more.
0: No, I love that, and I, I think it it makes me reminds me when you're talking before about during this phase now personal growth the difference between reacting and responding and being able to see things from a different perspective so uh, there is that thing is like people say oh you know you can't have fun in business and you should always be serious i think you can you can be responsible but i think what you're saying is like don't don't weigh it down weigh you down because also when we're weighed down we're less creative we're stressed we're less open to opportunities like you're saying you're below the line all the time yes well as a lovely conversation and I really appreciate sharing yeah. your story and, and I think there's so much there that um, community and our listeners will get out of hearing what it means to not just run a business but run a business that's conscious but also having an entrepreneur who understands that it's more than just the money and it's more than just the the organization and it's also about them and bringing them their best selves to work
1: thank you i am um... Honored to be on the other side of the, uh, the podcast recording uh, and just such a delight to talk with you. And I'm so excited about the work that you're doing in the world and just feel really humbled to have been a part of what you're pulling together.
0: Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this Happy Startup School community podcast. If you want to find out more about what we do, then check out our website, www.thehappystartupschool.com. You'll find out more about our community, the courses that we offer, and also the conversations and content that we're trying to create to help you get clear about how to build a purposeful business without burning out. So if you're trying to balance the money and the meaning, creating impact and avoiding imposter syndrome, then join us and our group and tribe of like-minded, caring, compassionate and flawed entrepreneurs on this journey, trying to work out how to make money, do good and be happy.